Well, I'm excited to start a new series with you today. And I want you to think about what it means to be transformed. I had the opportunity uh, this, this past uh, week, Kim and I got to visit uh, our son John and um, daughter-in-law Sadie, newly married, 24 years old. They're in the city of Chicago. They're in the big city doing their thing, new jobs, starting their, starting their lives together. And uh, wanted to kind of show off the city, so they, they took us on a, uh, on a tour. We got the architectural boat tour of Chicago, which was a pretty awesome experience. And, uh, you know, our tour guide, he, he showed us all the buildings and talked about all the architecture in Chicago along the shoreline. And what was uh, amazing to me, a couple things stood out. One was the history of Chicago. If you go back to the Great Fire of 1871, a third of the city burned. 100,000 people homeless, probably 300 or so died in the fire. The, the, the damage was really incalculable. But what happened after that fire was a great rebuilding of the city. It was a great transformation of the city. And in fact, there was one particular section where they just shoved the rubble into the river and they built on top of the rubble. And as I was thinking about that and I was thinking about what, a, what an awesome spiritual principle that we can see in that. That sometimes transformation requires death and destruction. It requires something to die so that something can be rebuilt. And as I think of that amazing principle of transformation, and I see that in a, in a, in a very concrete way in something like construction, I can begin to think about how is it that God is transforming us. So let me ask you this morning, what is your picture of transformation for yourself, for your family, for your kids, for those in your circle of influence? God is in the business of taking the rubble of our lives and building something more. And sometimes there's that, that destruction that is needed to clear the way for God to work. So this morning as we introduce the series and we really uh, just have the opportunity to scratch the surface, I want you to think about your vision for transformation, your picture. I remember when Kim and I moved into our house uh, about 15 years ago or so, a, a house built in 1977. I don't think it had been updated since 1978. She's like, how are we going to live in this thing? I said, don't worry, I have a vision for this house. We can knock out a couple walls here, we can do some things here, and it will come to be. She said, I trust you. We looked at one house, and we put a lot of work into it, and it was, uh, it was transformed. If only spiritual transformation were that easy. So in this series, we're going to look at how our character on the inside, how that can be transformed. Look at relationships and then our purpose. So to do this, we want to ground this in uh, one of the great vision passages, I believe in Paul's letter from 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in 14. And I want to walk you through this passage that I think will give us a 
a little bit clearer of a vision for transformation. Paul says this, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. Now this word controls, it can mean control, compel. And I want to give you a word picture of this. It is really both the a controlling and a compelling. So it is a a focus passage. So when you say, for the love of Christ controls us, let me give you a word picture of this. Have you ever taken a garden hose with no nozzle and the water just kind of trickles out? And then you put your thumb over it. And what happens? It shoots out. Or think of that nozzle on your garden hose. When 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 you tighten the focus you get a power that runs through. So in many ways, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, for the love of Christ controls us, it is focusing us, it is giving us energy and power that comes only from Christ. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So let me ask you this morning, what is it that controls you? What is it that is your motivating force? When you hear about the opportunity to help out Afghan refugees, when you think about an opportunity to love your neighbor, what is it that controls you? What is it that compels you? What is it that motivates you to share, to change, to live the life that God has called you to live. Eugene Peterson of the message says, our firm decision is to work from this center. That's the way he looks at it. So when you look at your own process of transformation, is it from the inside out or is it from the outside in? What does an inside out process of transformation look like? And really, there are a couple ways of thinking about this. Who do you want to please today? Who ultimately do you want to please? If we are compelled by the love of Christ, it's simple. We're to please Jesus. Or am I there to please others, to please myself? While I was in Chicago, we did, some, we did some shopping and went to some of the upscale places. Went to one store and they had Prada shoes. I didn't even know that Prada, I thought it was like a made-up thing. I didn't know it was real. <laughs> I'm thinking transform, transform, maybe I pick up a new pair of shoes, up my shoe game as a pastor. Saw the price tag on the Prada shoes. They didn't even have the price tag. But I, f- I found a pair of slippers, $1,000 for a pair of slippers. Now, here's what happens to me when I look at things like that. I'm so glad I'm not that materialistic. <laughs> Anybody with me? Those, materi- those people, they're, they're just ruled by money and power. All those wealthy people. Are you with me? Am I there? 
I drive a Kia Sedona. I buy my clothes at Costco. He really does. There's sometimes editorial comments, yes, wonderful from the audience. But here's what I want you to see this morning, though. I was convicted by that because there is a pride underneath that. Look at me. Look at who I am. It's the other side. Pride has many faces. What is it that really controls and compels you? Let's continue. Verse 15. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now there's a death that has to occur in transformation. There's a death. We talked a few times in our series about Galatians 2.20, about how I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So there's something that has to go, something that has to go for the love of Christ to rule in my heart. For some of us, that that death could be things that are really obvious, all those nasty sins of the flesh. But it can also be those sins underneath that we don't always see. It can be the other side of pride. But whatever it is that says, this is about me, look at me. Look at what I've earned. We've got to watch out for that. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, what needs to change? What needs to change? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What is the flesh? It is the way of the world. The flesh says, I, my identity is what I have and what I do. That's the way of the world. That's the flesh. I no longer regard people in that way. I no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. I no longer regard Christ from just a, a purely human perspective. I regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, let's just cut to the chase. we, we got to be quick this morning. So I'm just going to hit you between the eyes. How about that, all right? Not a lot of fancy exegesis this morning. Not a lot of fancy breaking it all down. But when you think about Jesus for a minute, Is Jesus simply information for you? 
is the way you, you regard Jesus. Is Jesus just information? Is it just the right thing to check on the box to say, yes, all my, all my theology, all the things I believe line up the right way? Or is Jesus more than that for you? Now, it's not less than believing the right things about Jesus. We have to have that. But it is so much more. Transformation is so much more than simply believing the right things about Jesus. Paul says we are a new creation. He says, behold, look, look, the old has passed away. The new has come. You are in Christ. You are connected by faith in Jesus. The very creator of the universe is present. You actually have a relationship with God. That's what we now regard. That's that's the way we experience that. I think so much of the time we just think about that and we don't actually experience it. That's what I want for you. I want you to experience a life with God. Because we don't just have this intellectual thing. We, we have the opportunity to actually have the Holy Spirit define who we are. Paul says in Romans 8 that uh, we no longer have to, to be a slave. We no longer have to fear because we, his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So we have this, this little visionary passage where we can see this. We can behold. We can say, look, see, you are a new creation. Your identity is in Christ. It's not in how others see you. But when we think about change, you know, we're in a time everybody's talking about transformation. How many videos do you get about eating better, looking better, wearing something better, buying something better? That's the world we live in. But it's more than simply new information. It's more even than new habits. Okay? That can change you at some level. I was thinking back to the GP and thinking back to Dean. And uh, several years ago, believe it or not, I took a Muay Thai class for about six months. Kickboxing. Back when I had cartilage in my knee. And I, you know, I got into it for a minute and I, I was like, I, I've got a new way of thinking. I go into the grocery store. Is this guy looking at me? I'm ready. Do I have, a, do I have my, my stance? Am I ready? So new habits, new way of thinking. Even had somebody in the class who got in an actual fight downtown. I think he won the fight. It led to some other problems later. But, <laughs> but what I want you to see is this. You can, have, you can have new information. You can even have new habits. But not be transformed by Christ. Because there's something supernatural. Something beyond just this. That it's about. 
as we look in the New Testament, uh, lots of examples of transformation. All right, we have the obvious ones. I mean, we can think of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and going from persecuting and destroying to building. We can look at the great doubters of the Bible. We can look at, look at Thomas. We can look at James, who was younger brother of Jesus, didn't buy it until the resurrection. We can look at Peter, who lived in fear, and then started the church. We can look at the Samaritan woman who went from being ashamed to proclaiming. But I was drawn this week to a couple lesser known people, and I'll share one with you, and that's, uh, that's Lydia. Okay, I want to take you very quickly to, uh, to Acts chapter 16, verse 14. This is Luke telling the story, but one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. What a beautiful example. We have this woman, wealthy, a seller of purple goods. That was a big deal back in the day. Probably a God-fearing Jew, but the Lord still had to open up her heart to make room for Christ. And he opened up her heart and she responded. She responded in faith. She was baptized. She brought her household to Christ, and then that church in Philippi grew. But what an amazing example of God working, God transforming. God would, would, would take the lives of Priscilla and Aquila and use them as, as tent makers. And Paul would say in Romans 16 that Priscilla and Aquila, thank you, you risked your necks for me. And all the churches, thank you. So we see these examples, men and women working together, early church that God was transforming to build. Transforming to build. So this morning I want you to consider your own transformation for a minute. Your own transformation for a minute. What is it in you? As you think about what does God have for me right now, what is in you, in you at the heart level that needs to die to make room for Jesus? What is it? Let me give you a couple questions real quick to help you uncover that. All right, the first question is this. What is the first thing you think about in the morning? What is the last thing you think about before you go to bed? What does that reveal? The second question. How did you respond the last time you were squeezed? The last time somebody bumped up against you? The third question. How do you pray for your enemies? And the fourth. When was the last time you sacrificed or risked something for Jesus. 
I've given you four questions that as I read them, as I apply them, I'm convicted because there are things that that will come out that I will say something needs to die here. Maybe there's some worry and anxiety that needs to go. How do I respond when I'm bumped or squeezed? That kind of reveals what's really inside. Do you actually take the time to pray for those who are opposed to you? Those who are really difficult to like? That's a heart check. That's that dipstick into your heart. And then finally, are you, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to give up for God's kingdom? So as God's word challenges us, as we, as we think about what it really means to be a new creation, what it really means to say that in, in Christ, I am a new creation. You are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. So as the Holy Spirit works in your heart and says, these are the things that are there. These are the things that keep me from seeing clearly what my life in Christ could be. As we look at that, we're reminded that when Jesus gathered his disciples in the upper room, he gathered them and he brought more than information. He didn't simply bring information that he wanted them to remember. Yes, there's truth. Yes, there's information. But there is so much more than that. When we come to the table, we come to actually experience together what Jesus has done. Now, as we come to the table, we're not, uh, we're not believers in transubstantiation. We don't say this is literally the body of Christ. This is literally the blood of Christ. But I think sometimes we belittle what we do when we come to the table. That it's not simply a ritual that we remember. It's not simply information. But we actually come to the, the table together and we participate in the death and resurrection of our Lord. So I would invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to take out the bread. And we're reminded that on that night, Jesus broke the bread and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. So may we receive the bread together. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He says, this, 
This represents my blood, the blood of the new covenant, blood that will be shed for forgiveness of sin. So just as we receive the bread, may we now receive the cup. God's word tells us that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and we look forward to his return. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love. Your love that compels us your love that controls us. We want more of you. We don't simply want information. We want to be transformed by your love. Give us a fresh vision of what it means to be controlled by your love. To be light for you, to be hope for you. So do the work in us that you need to do in our own hearts, whatever it is that came into our minds as we respond to these questions. May you do the work that only you can. And we say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. It's in your name that we pray.